Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you. What a beautiful day we have outside. We will try to get you back out to it here in about 75 minutes. <laughs> For some of you, if you're new, you're like, why are they laughing? No, it won't be that long, I promise. Um, so I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you like are in the market for a new car or a new anything. It doesn't really matter what the new thing is, but once you kind of set your mind on what it is that you want, now you're like, all you see is that vehicle. Like it's everywhere. It's like, oh, I want a, you know, a blue convertible. And the next thing you know, you're aware of how many blue convertibles exist out in the world. Okay, so this sermon series that we have been in for the last two weeks has been like the blue convertible in my world because it feels like almost every conversation that I have had, not specifically with people who are a part of this church, but just in my life, every conversation seems to kind of revolve around this idea of breathing room. Coming back to some of the principles, some of the concepts that we've been talking about. And ultimately, it's an issue of capacity and it's an issue of margin. And so if you have missed the last couple of weeks or you would like us to jog your memory, this is what we have been saying about this idea of breathing room. We're talking about a very particular space. It's a space between our load and our limits. And for some of us, that space is really, really thin or non-existent at all. And for others of us, maybe there's a little bit more space there. But the presence of some space is what we would name is breathing room. And really, every week of this series, the the point is going to be the same. So I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. We need more breathing room in our life in every category and in every area of our life. We need more space between our current load, our current pace, and our limits. We have maxed out our life on every single category. And we know this to be true. We feel this, especially this time of year. Life starts to get busier and busier. You look at your calendar and you just want to close it or close out the window because it just starts to stress you out when you think about all that you have coming up and all that you are trying to fit into what you already have. Like life just feels really, really stretched thin during this season. And it's not just for people who have kids in school, but for all of us, no matter where we are, no matter how old our kids are, or if we have kids, whether we're married or single, there seems to be this speed at which life is moving that seems to be going faster and faster and faster and faster. And there's, I think, a reason for that. There's a reason that our lives continue to pick up pace and there seems to be less and less and less breathing room in our lives. And ultimately, I think it comes down to our desires. We were made to desire things, to want things, and then we spend our lives in pursuit of those desires. You want um, to make new friends. You want to have better relationships with your friends. You want your kids to do well in school. You want to do well in school. You want somebody to like you that doesn't like you, or you want lots of people to like you because that feels good, or you want uh, your house to look different than it already looks, or you want a new house because of the way that your current house looks, or you want to live in a different city because of this current city. All of our life is motivated by our desires. And you just, you can pick a broad category, you can pick a really small category of your life, but what supplies most of your internal movement and motivation in your life is what you desire. The problem is, we spend our lives in pursuit of all of our desires, and we have far more desires 
than we do limits. Our desires will always exceed our limitations. If you think about all the things that you want to buy, there are very few of us in this room today who can buy everything that you want to buy, everything that you desire. If you are capable of buying everything that you desire, I'd like to speak to you after the service. We have a fundraising effort that is, I've been waiting to talk to you. But for most of us, there's a limitation. We can't get everything that we want. And it's not just in purchasing. But for most of us, we don't have all that we long for in our lives because there never seems to be an end or a a conclusion to all the desires that we feel. We have unlimited desires as people. Desires for relationships, desires for romantic relationships, desires to acquire, desires to accomplish, desires to be recognized. All of this makes up all of our efforts and energies in life. In fact, there's a famous theologian, Thomas Aquinas, who lived about a thousand years ago, and they were asking Thomas Aquinas, they're like, Thomas, uh, what is the solution to man's unlimited desires? How do we solve the fact that we as people have unlimited desires? And Thomas Aquinas, probably one of the smartest people who's ever lived, he answers, well, the answer to our unlimited desires is easy. It's everything. That's how we satisfy our unlimited desires, is to go to every place that you've ever wanted to travel to, to eat every possible thing on the menu at every possible restaurant that exists, to have every relationship, to have every experience, to have every romantic encounter with every partner that you could imagine, to do everything, to have everything, to be everything. The answer to our unlimited desires is everything. This is Thomas Aquinas' answer. Well, we recognize that's not possible. We can't go everywhere. We can't do everything. We can't be in relationship with everyone because we have limits. For some of us, our limits feel self-imposed by some of the commitments that we have in our life. For some of us, our limits are based on kind of our socioeconomic status and where we find ourselves in this moment in time. For some of us, our, our lives are limited by the choices that we've made or the choices that other people have made, but it doesn't matter how we've arrived at the place that we've arrived. We all are in the same place. We all desire way more than we have capacity for. And Advertisers and marketers know this. They play on our desires. They know exactly how to get us to click the little thing or to press buy now. They just tap into your desires. They just say, hey, if you would buy this, then it would satisfy you. Hey, if you could just purchase this, and you don't even have to pay for it all right now. You can actually pay for it in installments. You can buy now, pay later. It doesn't matter if you actually have the capacity or the margin or the limits or the breathing room financially to afford this. You can satisfy your desire. Just click pay. We have credit cards and deferred payment systems to facilitate our never-ending unlimited desires. And they market it too. You know the images that you see in the advertisements. It doesn't matter what you're buying. It's all aspirational. It all draws you towards a place that you aren't currently that you wish you could be. Whether it's a location, whether it's a relationship, 
whether it's an internal feeling inside of yourself, every advertisement is pulling you towards some longed-for, hoped-for future. Oh, if I could buy those shoes, then all the ladies would give me their attention, right? It seems silly when you say it out loud, but that's exactly what they're telling you. If you buy this car, you can finally have the peace, the solitude, and the freedom that you have been desiring. And so what happens is we buy in. And so we spend our lives in service to kind of the two primary kind of gods that we worship, accomplishment and acquisition. And so our lives are spent in pursuit of these things. So we try to buy more to be more. And when we can't afford more, we work more to be able to buy more. And around and around and around it goes. And what it's doing to us, though, this interaction between our unlimited desires and our finite limitations and resources is it causes us to feel a never-ending sense of restlessness because we haven't arrived at the place that we want to arrive at. Even when we take a day off, even when we're on vacation, what are we doing? We're looking at property in that area that we could buy right? Like, oh, this is a beautiful place. Maybe we should buy a house here. Or we start planning our next trip because we're never really where we are. We want something more than what we actually have. The desires never end. You get in the relationship with the person that you've longed to be in the relationship with and you're, wow, his friend's actually cuter and nicer than he is, right? It just shifts. And so we constantly play this whack-a-mole game trying to satisfy all of our desires. And it leaves us restless feeling incomplete and insufficient and always longing for more. And it wears us out. It leaves us tired, empty, agitated. I saw this advertisement the other day as I was doing some research on the sermon series, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like brilliant in how manipulative this is. I want to show you this. This is an advertisement by a company called Burrow for a Couch. Look at this. Look at this poor woman. Their tagline is good for nothing. They are selling you on the idea that if you buy this couch, you can finally do nothing. And then look at this poor woman. I mean, isn't this how we feel at the end of the day? We just want to come on the couch and just crash face first, drool pile spilling out to the side. Shoes are still on because we're so worn out and exhausted and tired from chasing after all of the desires that we have. And so the solution to all of this chasing after desires is really, really simple. Just buy the couch. That's it. Just buy the couch. And then we can finally have rest. Here's another one from the same company. No plan is my plan. Now here's what they are tapping into besides our never-ending longing and desire for more. They're tapping into how deeply weary and exhausted we are. I don't need to convince you of this. Just a quick self-inventory. And we all kind of feel like we're running on fumes. I think there are a whole lot of factors that contribute to this. Partly it's the speed and the pace in which we live our lives. Partly it's this never-ending desire to acquire more, to accomplish more, to be more. 
part of this is I still think that there is physiological and psychological kind of baggage that we are carrying from COVID that we have not fully processed through. We are wrestling with all of this. We drag all of this into every day of our life. It's like you go to bed, you sleep seven hours, you wake up and you feel what? Yeah, tired and exhausted. Why? Because we don't have any breathing room. We don't have any margin. We don't have any space between our current load and our limits. A couple of weeks ago when we started the series, we talked about this idea of these unhurried rhythms of grace that we would be talking about through this series. This is kind of a, a translation of Jesus' invitation to come and to follow him, to take on his yoke, which is easy, his burden is light. He says, come learn from me and learn the unhurried rhythms of grace. And so, one of the unhurried rhythms of grace that we're going to talk about today is one that we probably are not going to be surprised by. We know it. We've named it before. We might even have tried to kind of participate in it, but it's the rhythm of Sabbath. Now, for Sabbath, for some of us, we're like, I don't really, is that just that Sunday, right? We just go to church on Sunday and that Sabbath. And really what we have to go back to is the origin of the word and the origin of the story of how we get to the Sabbath. See, Sabbath is just a Hebrew word, Shabbat, which means to stop. It means to refrain from doing, to refrain from working, to refrain from worrying, to refrain from wanting. It's a cessation of all busyness and activity to stop, to rest. Like we said a couple weeks ago, to let our souls catch up to our bodies. To then be reminded of our humanity and the goodness of the world that we live in already without the need for more. That allows us to delight in what God has created, what we have all, of around, all around us. And then ultimately, when we stop and rest and delight, guess where that brings us back to? brings us back to worship and recognition and contemplation of God. This is what it means to be fully human in this life. There has been a rhythm that has been woven into the foundation of the world and creation. This is the grain of the universe. And as one author kind of quipped, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And this is what we've been doing. So there was a, an instance in the life of Jesus and the disciples. They were walking through a, a field of wheat on the Sabbath. They traveled a lot by foot. And so as they're walking through this field of wheat, one of Jesus' followers grabs kind of a handful of grain and begins to start to eat some of the wheat. And some of the religious leaders, Pharisees, who were really uh, strict on adherence to the law, said, Jesus, look what your followers are doing. They're working on the Sabbath. They're doing something they're not supposed to be doing. And so in response to the Pharisees' criticism of Jesus' disciples and followers, Jesus responds in this way. Maybe you've heard this before. Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. Now, what Jesus is naming in this instance is this over-legalistic, pharisaical, um, hyper-self-religious focus on adherence to the law for the sake of the law. 
Jesus and this, and the point of Jesus' kind of words in this story and instance, focus on the second half of what he says. Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. He's like, listen, we don't live and exist to observe this thing. This was the emphasis he was trying to create for the religious leaders at the time because they didn't need help remembering to recognize, to honor, to celebrate the Sabbath. This was a part of their world, their rhythms, their customs, their religion. What they did is they over-focused on the legalistic adherence to the rule. But for us today, we actually have to go back to the first part of this. We don't even remember the Sabbath. We don't even participate in the Sabbath. We don't stop. We don't rest. We don't delight. And as a consequence of all of that, there's no acknowledgement and celebration and contemplation of who God is and God's relationship to us. There's an author, his name's A.J. Swoboda, and he kind of writes about um, the Sabbath and the difficulty that the modern Christian church in the West has adhering to it. And so I want to share his words because he says it uh, far more eloquently than I can. He says this, he says, the Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church which was uncritically mimicked, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result is our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate the Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It is not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. I think he's got it right. I think he nails where we are. For some of us, we might know of Sabbath as kind of like this intellectual concept and idea, something that maybe our Jewish friends celebrate and honor and participate in, something that we know maybe is in Scripture. I think we've recognized, some of us can recognize it as one of the Ten Commandments, but it's something that we'd actually participate in as a rhythm that we would add to our life or actually as a rhythm that we would allow our life to fall into, well, for most of us, it's like, oh, that's, that's not for us. But I don't see anything in Jesus' life example or teaching that indicates to us that it's not something that we should participate in. He doesn't say, don't worry about that. He doesn't say, ignore the Sabbath. He doesn't dismiss or diminish the Sabbath in any way. No, every aspect of Jesus' life honors the rhythm of Sabbath. And so for us, why aren't we? AJ goes on to, to kind of finish out what he writes this way. He says, we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, physiologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. Emotionally exhausted, physiologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished. We don't have to raise your hands. This applies to you. I know because I am you. Because we all live the same lives. We all participate in the same busy, bustling, hurried rhythms that don't make space to stop and rest and delight and contemplate. And in doing so, we miss out on so much of what God has intended for us. 
what it means to be human. For so many of us, it feels like our souls are trying to catch up to our bodies because they are, because we won't stop long enough to allow them to catch up. So let me just show you where this idea of Sabbath comes from and what it would look like for us to begin to live it out in our lives. So this idea of Sabbath, it's not new. In fact, if you want to find it in the story of the world, you just have to turn to the very opening pages. This comes to us out of the story of Genesis, the story of how God formed, created the world and everything in it. This is what it says. This is Genesis 2. On the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he'd done. Six days, work, build, create the world, put all the animals in it, create mankind, put them in it. And then on the, sixth, on the seventh day, after six days of working, the seventh day, God rests. And then it says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all of the work that he had done. Now, this idea of blessing a day seems maybe strange to us. But in the context of the larger story of Genesis, here's what happens. God creates the animals and he blesses them. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then God creates humankind and he blesses them. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And then God creates the Sabbath and he blesses it. And so in the same way, the Sabbath exists to allow us to be fruitful and multiply. It doesn't just mean procreation, but it means to live into the abundance that life has to offer. God instills in a day the same commands that God instills in humankind and all of the animals. There is a purpose and a significance to this day that allows flourishing to happen, that allows life to happen. And I know that you're sitting there thinking, well, Stephen, that's good and all. That sounds great. Go, Jesus. Uh, This isn't possible in my life. I've got three kids at home, all under the age of 12. No chance we're Sabbathing. Or, Stephen, if you knew how busy I was at work right now, and you knew the deadlines that we had coming up, and you knew how large this project was, this project could make the next five years of my career, if you understood the details and the circumstances of my life, you know, not possible. Stephen, if you knew that I was caring for my ailing parent and the continual needs that they have and the care that's required to support them in their life, you'd understand that this is not possible. And I get that we all have a series of circumstances in our lives that make it feel like Sabbath isn't possible. I get it. I have the same limitations on my time, my schedule, based on my commitments. But I don't think God made a mistake. I don't think God got this wrong, and I don't think God intended this to just exist for a moment in time for a small group of people who don't understand what it's like to live in the modern world. We are ignoring this at our own peril. The exhaustion, the cynicism, the irritability, all of the things that we carry through our day-to-day lives, 
the ways that it doesn't feel like we're living into our fullest, best, healthiest selves? Perhaps it's because we're not honoring the Sabbath, because we're not stopping and we're not resting and we're not delighting in all that God has made. We have convinced ourselves that we have to continue to do more and more and more. And so I get that this would be the hardest shift and pivot for your life. I get it. It is for me and my family as well. This is hard. This is hard to do. It is hard to make time. It is hard to set boundaries. It is hard to protect it. Not because all of the other stuff in our life is bad. That's not it at all. It's because all that stuff is good. And so it's so easy to say yes to the good stuff in our life. All of the commitments that we're making seem like they support and serve us to help us get to where we want. They satisfy all of, all of our desires. And so the more that we can acquire and the more that we can accomplish, the better our life's going to be. And in a lot of ways, that's true, with the exception of when it costs us to ignore and blow through a day of Sabbath and a day of rest. Because here's what happens when you begin to live into this. When you begin to live into a day where you slow down and you stop and you refrain, you start to realize that all of the desires that you have, one, will never be satisfied. But two, it gives you a chance to stop participating in them. And you realize that you actually have enough. Have you ever had the experience where you're maybe at a buffet or maybe you know, someone's taking you to a sushi lunch or dinner and so you just kind of go into town on all that they're bringing in front of you and the speed at which you're eating feels like I could just continue to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and you just continue to shovel things in and shovel things in. Maybe this is just me. I'm getting a lot of blank stares right now. <laughs> and then you stop eating and you realize how sick and full you feel because you've eaten without rhythm. You've eaten without space. You've just consumed and consumed and consumed. Maybe it's not food for you. Maybe it's your credit card. You just had one of those days and you just went to town and you just, it felt so good and you just kept clicking buy, buy, buy and you'd fill those shopping carts and then one click shopping and you'd fill the next shopping cart on the next side or the next page or Instagram just had you pegged that day and so everything that you saw on Instagram, you're like, oh, this is me too. Uh, here we go again over and over and over and then you get the credit card bill and you're like, oh, I don't, what did I do? There's no rhythm. But when you pace yourself, when you allow for a rhythm, when you allow for space, when you allow for a time, what you recognize is that it's easy to recognize when you've had enough. Like, ah, that's enough walk into your closet on a good day, slept well, feel emotionally healthy, regulated, everything was good in the household, you walk in and you go, yeah, I got enough. I don't actually need anything else. Enough comes from a place of contentment. More comes from a place of desire and scarcity and insecurity. And we never get to a place of enough and contentment when we continue to live in this perpetual desire fueled more, more, more. God recognizes this. This is why this is one of the commandments that God gives to the people of Israel. Observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. 
Why? Because it's our tendency to ignore it. It's our tendency to allow ourselves to get sucked in to the whirlpool of never-ending acquisition and accomplishment. And so God's saying, I am trying to build a rhythm for you that protects you, that keeps you in a rhythmic pace that allows for space and margin and breathing room in your life so that you can actually live life well. This is what it looks like to Sabbath. This is what it would look like for us to actually put this into practice. It means stopping. It means creating time in advance where you're going to protect this time, where you know that you're going to stop. In the same way that we would observe Christmas or Easter, or some other holiday, you make preparations in advance to honor, to observe, to recognize this time. Go to the grocery store the night before, the day before, the week before, I don't care. Do, do something in advance to protect this time. But what it looks like at its best is a 24-hour period of time where you stop from all of your working. This is not a day off. A day off is when you do all of the work that you don't get paid for. Right? We all, I mean, half of you are making grocery lists right now. I know what's going on. A day off is not the same as a Sabbath. Sabbath is intentional. Day off is unintentional, unavoidable, feels inevitable. The Sabbath is intentional. This is protected time and space. That's why God calls it holy. The word holy means to be set apart separate from everything else. This is not like all of the other six days in your life. It looks different. It feels different. The experience is different. And it allows us to be different. So you protect this time and you stop. And then you rest. You avoid doing. You avoid buying. You avoid consuming. You avoid participating in the rhythms and the cycles that tell you that you need to feed your desire. You rest. Sleep in. Take a nap. Despite the voice in your head that tells you you're lazy and you should be doing something. Those are lies. Don't listen to them. Stop. Rest. And then... As your soul starts to catch up to your body, do the things that bring you joy and delight. Maybe it's making a meal with your family. Maybe it's inviting friends over to open up a nice bottle of wine. Maybe it's uh, going on a walk with your spouse. Maybe it's playing in the yard with your kids. Depending on your circumstance and season and stage of life, this will look different. But what would it look like to do the things that truly bring you joy? Maybe it's sitting outside and playing with the dog or building Legos, whatever it is that, that sparks your joy and your delight, that's what the Sabbath is for. And then it's also a time to contemplate, to focus on all of the blessings that we have, all of the ways that God is good, and all of the ways that we actually have enough. And it builds on itself. Because when you start to stop, and when you start to rest, and when you start to delight in the goodness that exists all around you, then you recognize just how close God has been this entire time. And you recognize the blessings that we live with each and every day. And as you begin to put this into practice, some of you might be saying, Stephen, 24 hours, no chance. Okay, then do 18 or 12 
or sick. Start somewhere. Just start. The only thing that you can do wrong with Sabbath is to not do it. This will change your lives. I promise this is not pastoral hyperbole. It'll change your lives. And it's hard to do. As a pastor, it's still hard for me to do. It's still hard for me to protect 24 hours. It's easy to cheat and to say, oh, well, I'll just go run this quick errand. It's easy, it's easy, it's easy. And at first, because it's so hard and because it's so challenging, you're going to feel like you're not doing it right, and so you should just not do it anymore. But stay committed. Stay with it. Lean into the gift of Sabbath. This is how God has created us and has created the universe to follow this rhythm. And we avoid it at our peril. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for my family. I want us to live the fullest lives possible, the richest lives possible, the most abundant life possible. And it means honoring and living into and observing the Sabbath. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of life that we all have. God, thank you for the gift to live life the way that you have designed it. God, encourage us, convict us, and strengthen us to make decisions, even the hard ones, that require us to protect this day once a week. To stop, to stop from all of our wanting and worrying and wishing. To stop, to rest, to trust that it is okay to not always be going and doing. To trust that you have created the world in such a way that it's all right for us to rest. Despite what the world says, despite what our culture says, despite what our schedules try to convince us to do, God, you have allowed it to be so. You've called it good. You've blessed it. And so help us to live into it, that we may delight in your world and be drawn back closer to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.